morning. You can be seated. We are going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 15 this morning. So I want to invite you to turn there in your Bibles. And uh, I think it'll go right along with what we've been singing about through our worship time. Uh, and appreciate that from Harry uh, leading us in those thoughts this morning. Uh, as we're turning there, I, I do want to say thanks. Um, Rachel Pennington, I saw you walk in. Where are you? You are. Okay. Um, Rachel stopped me last night. She and Judd. Um, what are y'all laughing about? Y'all talking about me already? All we need to know is Rachel and Judd. Rachel and Judd, that's enough said. Okay. What did I do? Well, no, this is, this is a thanks. Um, how many of you have read the Harry Potter series? Okay. How many of you remember, like... By the way, y'all are like really arranged weird this morning. Can I just, I was like so flat. Like y'all can turn. Like Abigail and, and Leanne, would y'all do me a favor? See how Leonard and Linda have like sat where they're facing the stage? It's in their neck. There's wisdom there. Y'all just turn in a little bit. It'll help me. Riley, don't laugh at them. You need to do it too. Everybody just wants to be on the front row. They, they want to do what, Judd? Everybody just wants to be on the front row. Yeah, I know. And that, it's like it's like just extending out and out and out. So if you read the Harry Potter series where I was going before I was so easily distracted about y'all's arrangement, um, did, did anybody like me re read Hermione and her, you know, it's like how you read things in your mind? Yeah, I, I know, I know. Relax. Relax. When the movies came out, I was like, oh, that's how she wants us to pronounce it. Okay, so there's a story behind this. How, many, how do y'all how do y'all spell gun gun whale? Right? When you read that word, G-U-N-W-A-L-E. That's it, but you pronounce it gunnel. I'm a landlocked Tennessean. So last week I said gun whale when you actually pronounce it gunnel. Okay? So how many of y'all did not know that like me? Some of see, I'm not the only one, Rachel and Judd. Keep your hands held high for me, witnesses. Even Amy, thank you, Amy, who's so wise. <laughs> see, I wasn't the only one. So I, I want to say this. Thank you for the gentle correction, not a rebuke of you foolish Tennessee landlocked boy. Okay. So now, anytime anybody reads that word that's spelled gunwale, you read it in your mind, gunnel. Not, it's kind of like Hermione, not Hermione, okay? I, I get it. So we all need correction like that at, in times in our lives, right, Kyle? Right. <laughs> that was not a, committed, a strong enough commitment, my friend. So, um, what's that, Greg? Don't worry that it went out. Don't worry that it went out on Facebook. It's okay. Okay, yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's captured somehow for all of uh, this life, yeah. Hopefully the Lord will delete that and not replay it when he laughs at me and all my antics and the, the review at the Great White Throne Judgment. Yes, Rachel. Have I done something else now? Right, you know, so I, I do appreciate the correction in all honesty. Thanks. And that's what we ought to be doing as Christians, right? Like mutually sharpening one another, gently, right? Uh, 
because we love one another. We don't want each other to be looking foolish, especially preserved on Facebook Live. Oh, no, Judd, what did I do now? I just want to say that I got thrown under the bus on this. I never said anything to you about Gentle. You said it to Rachel, though, right? No, he told me not to say anything. Oh, he did. Oh. Thank you very much. Well, wait a second, Judd. Now I'm not feeling so much love. It's like letting that just flap out in the wind with that stuff in the future. We're going to have to go after the service today. Oh. So... Hopefully you guys recognize here at the Grove Church, we have a little fun with each other. And it's, uh, and, and the truth is, I think this is hopefully actually a good little bit of a live illustration of being teachable. That, that is one of the things that we value about our Christian life, is that we would continue to be teachable. And we're going to see that played out through uh, Jesus' relationship with the disciples today. Um, so girls, thank you all for turning. It helps me a ton. I got even thumbs up. So here's where we are. And in Matthew 15, just kind of remembering the context of everything that's been occurring in Matthew up to this point, Jesus has been like very uh, covert in a sense about his identity, not in what he's doing, but identity to be known yet. But after the feeding of 5,000 and the walking on the water, that title has been used again by the disciples. And they're saying, surely he is the son of man. And so this disclosure of his identity is starting to, to uh, be uh, revealed and, and more accepted by him, which is, I think, very important as we get into this account in Matthew 15 and what he's going to share, especially in, in context with the, the Pharisees. Because we start to see some things very clearly uh, in this text this morning about the doctrines of Scripture revealed, and especially the two doctrines of sin and salvation. And let me say this. I'm, I know a lot of times when, when a pastor says the word doctrine, everybody starts to go, oh, no, it's going to be one of those sermons, and their eyes start getting glazed over and those kind of things. One of the things that I truly love about the Gospels and the narratives is that we see doctrine played out before us in such a real way that it really becomes tangible. It, it, it doesn't, it's not like the heady epistles where Paul's writing all these deep doctrines in, in this logical flow. It, it just kind of seeps out of the life of Christ. And so it's very, very like palatable, tastes good to us to learn it this way. So I want to encourage you with those things. So we're, we are going to be looking at the doctrine of sin, which is known, and this is just for the the, the folks that are wordsmiths and love this kind of stuff, hamartiology, and then we're going to look at the doctrine of salvation. Because once we look at sin, hamartiology, we also need to look at the doctrine of salvation, soteriology. Okay, so, so, so some of you guys, especially that have been reading some of the books with us, will get that stuff. So let's read Matthew 15, 1 through 20. All right. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said... Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What would you have gained from me is given to God? He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people... 
to him and said to them, Hear and understand. Is it, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So this morning, uh, I want us to focus in on the three groups of people that Jesus is dealing with here in this, this passage. The first is the Pharisees, the second is the people, and then the third are the disciples. And I've kind of qualified those into three different titles, if you will. The Pharisees would be equated with the critic. They, they have constantly been trying to trap Jesus, and they're the critics that come along. They have their own perspective, their own view. They're trying to trap Jesus, and they're critical of everything that he says. The, the people, the, I would just categorize them as the curious. They're, they're wanting to hear what Jesus says, but they're not engaged further with Jesus. We, we see them on this theme for just a moment, and then they kind of drift out. So just that, that curious crowd, if you will, that's surrounding. And then we have the, the, the disciples themselves that I would title as the concerned. That, that when you think about Peter coming and saying, Jesus, what did you mean by the, the, the teaching of the parable? There's a deep concern for the disciples to really understand all that Jesus wants to communicate. So I want us to begin by looking at the Pharisees, these critics, and noting a couple of things about them in particular. First of all, if we see um, in, in verse, um, let's see, where is it? Here it is, verse 12. It says, Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, this is after everything's been shared with, with the Pharisees, okay? The disciples say in verse 12, that uh, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So, so what's significant about that is that the Pharisees heard this statement about their, their uh, nature and them being responsible in, in a way that is wrong to the way that they're treating their parents and the, and the commandments or the traditions that they're elevating while ignoring the commandments of God. And we're we're going to ex expose that just a second. Um, as we, we look at this idea of Korban. Um, but what happens is the Pharisees are obviously offended. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing. I want to remind you of a Proverbs. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So, so think about this for just a moment. Here Jesus has basically been confronted by the Pharisees and their critique of him, and he says, whoa, time out. This is what's happening. And they get offended by what Jesus says. And, and if anyone should have been understanding of the Proverbs and overlooked the offense, it should have been who? The Pharisees, because they understood the law. And they should have responded in such a way that Jesus' statement, they, they looked
outwardly and they were reflected actions and their own attitudes but instead they took the, uh, their thoughts and they pushed them back on Jesus I, as I thought about that I, I started thinking how often we too can respond like the Pharisees when we're confronted about our weaknesses that when we think that we've uh, when, when someone thinks that we've done something wrong or maybe we sin we actually become part uh, or play the part of the critic ourselves that, that we go whoa 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 that's not me and we start defending our own actions and, and that's pharisaical so so what we often really see in ourselves uh, happening is we become blind to the reality of our own issues and we deny our own responsibility is that just me I, I think it's all of us isn't it? We, we are quick to take offense and, and it reminds me of things that Jesus has said earlier that, that we are not to judge others that we are to be uh, quick to respond to the Lord so he actually remember this he says we are to overlook an offense and, and, and that starts with us acknowledging our own responsibility and sin it means this that we are to recognize the own log or plank in our eye before examining the speck in another's and I'm not saying Jesus is sinning here okay because he's not but the Pharisees are quick to do what everybody else has got a log in their eye and they think they have nothing in theirs so so what it requires for us to avoid being the critic is we have to stop playing that role and we instead we need to be humble and we need to receive the truth about ourselves and understand our own responsibility for for sin and and recognize that it is possible for us when we recognize our sin and only when we recognize our sin to become stewards of the grace of God. Does that make sense? Now, now let me be real quick. And I know it was a silly illustration about the word gunwale and gunnel, but how easily could I have postured myself with Rachel and quasi Judd last week? <laughs> Thrown under the bus Judd last week, right? I could have bowed up and said, well, how dare you confront me about that? You know, but, but that wasn't my hope. I hope that's not ever how I respond. I hope instead that I recognize I can always learn. I can always be teachable. I can always come back into a place where I recognize that I need people around me to hold me accountable. And that's a simple illustration. How much more serious is it when it's really sin? That, that we need people to speak graciously to us, to steward the grace of God towards us so that we would respond in humility and repent of sin. See, I, I think this is where, th th this is to me one of the most convicting things about where the, the, the Pharisees are in this is they were confronted about their attitude and their obligation and they just continued to deny it. And this is what this idea of Corban is. In Mark's gospel, this word, word is that the word Corban is actually employed. Matthew doesn't use that, but he describes that. You remember when, he, when uh, Jesus is talking about honoring your father and mother, that you give this gift, it's all found in verses uh, 4 through uh, 7. And then he, he refers to the prophecy of Isaiah in 8 and 9. We'll get there in a second. But he says in verse 4, For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever relieves father and mother must surely die. But you say, 
So, so God's given a commandment about how to honor father and mother. And in the tradition of the Pharisees is this. You say, in verse 5, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for this sake of tradition, you've made void the word of God. Here's what was essentially happening. Let, let's say, um, oh, I'm going to have some fun here. Let's say Judd and Cheryl and my mom and dad. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. No, sorry, guys, yeah. Y'all had me when y'all were 10, right? No. So let's say they come to me and say, we have this need. And I said, oh, mom and dad, Judd and Sherilyn, I'm so sorry. I've promised this resource, this financial resource to God. I'm going to give that to him at some point. I have now relieved myself of having to do anything to take care of them. I call it, it's called Corban. And the irony is this. I could say, oh, that, that resource has been promised to God, and I never have to give it to the Lord. I could wait until my deathbed to give it. It's just because it's promised that it's already spoken for, and I don't have to respond to them. So, so here's the issue. No longer are the people looking to honor the Lord and by honoring their father and mother. They're looking to get out of their obligations, and, and they're denying and declining that true responsibility. So they're actually elevating the tradition of man over the command of God and escaping that responsibility to honor the Lord by honoring their father and mother. Makes sense. And so Jesus is going, time out. Y'all are getting this all wrong. So, so here's the, the interesting thing. This avoidance of obligation is actually what Jesus points out to be an issue of the heart. So here the, the Pharisees are trying to confront the disciples about what goes in and out of their mouths, that they're eating unclean and they're not washing their hands before they eat. And Jesus is like, you're doing things that are far worse. And, and you're disobeying my command or the commands of the, the Father and, and avoiding your obligations. And then you're criticizing them. This is a matter of the heart. So, so here's what Jesus says. And this is, he quotes Isaiah in verses 8 and 9, he quotes Isaiah 29, verses 13 and 14. So let's listen to, to these verses again. He says, The people, this people, honors me with their lips. But this is the key. But their hearts, is, or their heart, is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. So, so here the Pharisees get this huge confrontation by Jesus. You understand why they may have taken offense. But, but there's a reason that, that they're confronted by Jesus because their hearts are far from the Lord. Everything they're doing is actually vain worship because it's done from a false perspective and a wrong understanding. So I think that what, what struck me uh, most like poignantly about this is they were making, the Pharisees were making excuses by which they avoided the genuine worship of God. And, and, and when I say that, I think we need to carefully pause and think, what are the excuses that we make where we genuinely, or where we avoid, end up avoiding the genuine worship of God? Because all of us are guilty of these kind of things. That, that our hearts can be distant from the Lord. So, so I was thinking and, and wrestling through these, these ideas, and I, I remember this psalm, Psalm 15. I want to invite you to turn there. 
Psalm 15. It's a short psalm. It's very... Because I think it helps us understand the character of righteousness. And we're going to look at that in, in just a moment. So here's what Psalm 15 reads. 15, 1, beginning there. A psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? So that question is, how do we get into a right relationship with God where we are present with him? And here's the conclusion. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speak, tr speaks truth where in his heart and who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend and who, whose eyes a vile person is despised, despised but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I want to give you the NIV here, because I think it's interesting how it reads. It says, who oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind. That, that translation is very powerful to me, because I think that the, how many times do we say we're going to do something, and then we don't follow through because we've changed our mind. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to change our mind necessarily, but if we've presented a promise and we don't follow through, that can be dangerous. And so he continues. Who, in verse 5, who does not put out his money at interest and, who, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So, so here's the, the question. How can we get to that kind of character? Because that character is not who we are. And what Jesus is saying at, the, at this point with the Pharisees is that's not who you are. It's not about what goes into your mouth that, that makes you clean or unclean. It's about your hearts. And so how we get to that character is only found by us receiving a new heart in the Lord. Now we're going to break for just a minute. Where are my children? Stand up, all my children. Don't come up yet. All my children. Maya's going to come. All my children, I want you to listen really carefully as you're coming. We have tarps out because the grass was wet this morning. So as you get to the edge of the tarp, I want you to be careful so that you don't trip. Okay? And your feet may be a little wet from the grass still, and that may make the tarp a little slippery too. So just don't run up and at the tarp. Just start walking slowly. Okay, so y'all come on up. Miss Maya's going to lead us this morning with the teaching. Run, run, run. I can't wait to Bacon. I'll be. And cheese wrapped in bacon. 
tell everyone about Jesus and show them how to follow Jesus. And so, guys, you know what? Keep going, keep looking, keep watching, keep those eyes open because the story goes on. You can do this. There you go. Like that, and that feels so much better. You know, guys, the Holy Spirit helps us do things we can't do by ourselves. And that's what happened. That day, the disciples spoke and everybody understood them. That's like if someone spoke to us in Japanese or in Chinese and we understood them. It seems impossible. Let's try. Let's give this a try. All right, so I'm gonna tell you something in Spanish. I want you to listen and tell me what it means, okay? All right, start. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. What did I say? One, two, three. Mrs. Jovi, are you learning Spanish? High five, wow, but she knows this much. You learn Spanish too, you know learning languages is the coolest. I learned English when I was in school too, but my language is Bulgarian, because I'm from Bulgaria. Yes, two means dos, you know, we have some bilingual kids almost here, but let's try a language you've never learned before. I'm going to tell you something in Bulgarian. No cheating. I don't, I don't want you now to be coming up with what I said. You have to be honest. If you don't know what it means, you say you don't know. All right, let's try this. Listen and tell me if you understand what I'm saying. Здравейте, малки дечица! Вие сте толкова красиви и сте сладки като малки зайчета, байчета. Господ ви обича и аз също. А? You see, I did say hello, but that's about bye. But you got it from my verbal, from my non-verbal gesture here. We don't know. When we learn a foreign language, we know. But when the language has a different alphabet, we don't understand. But you see, that's what happened. When God wants us to do something, the Holy Spirit helps us do that. And that day, the disciples spoke, and everybody understood them. So, Peter, one of the disciples, stood, and he told everyone about how the Holy Spirit had, had come. He told them to follow Jesus. He told them, turn away from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and your sins will be forgiven and when you believe in Jesus you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and my little friends if you missed all that here are the most important things now pour it all out let's review everything we said you need to help me complete the sentences all right so God has three persons God the Son God the, oh so God the Father God the Son and God the Awesome, Jesus. Before Jesus went up to heaven, he told the disciples, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will give you power. And you will tell everyone about me and you will show everyone how to follow Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit helps us do things we can't do by ourselves. That's right. And when we believe in Jesus, we also get the gift of the awesome and before we do our songs guys all right i want to tell you one thing that really comes out of my heart because i am 42 but i have the same problems someone older and someone younger has the bible tells us and this is our verse for today in galatians 5 16 22 it says so but i say 
walk by the Spirit, and you will not ratify the desires of the flesh. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know, that means that walking by the Spirit is like trusting Jesus and following and doing what He says. And we pray that the Holy Spirit helps us do that. But I tell you, it's not very easy for me because I get focused on my body, my flesh, and what I want right now because I want it so much and I don't want to share with anyone at all and I want that because it's so cool and I want it for myself and I don't want to do anything that you want me to do but and you can't hear that mom and dad are right here and they have this perfect solution and they know what's good for you and tell you honey you're you're hurting yourself you're breaking our hearts by doing what you're doing and and, and, and if we're breaking God's heart, we have we know what's good for you, but you can't. You can't. You can't because it's so attractive. You know that thing about the flesh, and you want it all for yourself. And it's so difficult sometimes to turn away and look at. Oh, mom, dad, this is so much better. I I, I don't know what I was thinking. Hugs, kisses. Oh, forgive me. Oh, the Holy Spirit helps us in that process. I'm really thankful for the Holy Spirit. You know, my prayer today, guys. We're wrapping this up, honey. My prayer today is that when God looks in our lives and our lives are like trees and when other people look at our lives, they see the fruit of the Holy Spirit displayed in our lives. So we can show others as well how to follow Jesus. And let's practice that fruit of the Spirit. All right, it's going to be me and then it's going to be you. I'm going to say me and then you and then me and then you and you will repeat. Uh, and I'll go like Miss Gina because, you know, she's cool. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I, I need to focus. Okay, here, here we go. <laughs> now me. Love, joy, peace. Now you. Love, love joy, peace. peace. Now me. Patience, kindness. Now you. Now me. Goodness, faithfulness. Now you. Now me, gentleness and self-control. Now you. And of course, we have to raise the roof. When I clap, you raise the roof, all right? One, two, three. And we are ready for our song, which is also our verse. Let's get up, guys. We are ready to rock. Are we ready? Let's go. We can do this. Just follow me.
Um, I just love Maya. So I wish I could speak three languages and I have a hard enough time with English, obviously. Um, Gunnel. Historicity. There's a couple words that I've managed to, to learn. Um, as, as Maya was going over uh, that passage in Galatians, it, it struck me about that idea. I know she was focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, um, but, but it talked about gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. So, so we have these contrasts that Paul's writing about there. Why do we gratify the desires of the sinful nature? Because we have a sinful nature. And that brings us right back into what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 15. Because he's addressing the Pharisees and he's, he's saying, you have a heart issue. That heart issue is a result of your sinful nature. And, and I, I've shared this, uh, and you may remember me doing this at, at some point um, in the past, but I, I think it's worth just taking a second to describe. When the Pharisees were confronting Jesus and his disciples about washing their hands, do you know there was this specific way that you had to wash? It, it's like you had to have your the pitcher and you had to have your hand up like this and the water pouring off your fingertips this way and dropping off of your wrist because if you held them another way, the dirt would still stay on your fingertips and then when you handle your food, it would be considered dirty. The, the traditions that they were in, imposing were so strict and honestly ridiculous. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, you're, you're more concerned about what goes into the mouth of a person, than, and it just it's food. It just goes in. You can eat dirt. God made dirt, right? Dirt won't hurt. How many of y'all use that with kids? Growing dirt up? won't hurt. Boys especially? Okay. Man, y'all look at me like I'm weird this morning. Um, so, so we can eat stuff, and what happens, it goes in, and then we process it out. And, and, and it's like, that's not the issue. Jesus says it's what comes out of a man that is what defiles him and makes him unclean. It's from the heart that, these, that, that the real issue is. Uh, at stake is the heart. And so I want to run through some things because where we took a, a little break at was, remember, we have to address our heart issue. And throughout the whole New Testament, even the Old Testament, we're seeing the importance of what it means to have a new heart. So let me, first of all, and, and remember, this is where the doctrinal stuff kind of comes in. We're just going to focus on this real quickly. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can understand? And then listen to this statement. I, the Lord, Search the heart and test the mind. Folks, our heart is desperately wicked. But the Lord searches it. He knows. He knows the sin that, that is, resides in our hearts. Yet he doesn't leave us with that being the only place for our condition to stay forever. He says there's a change that can occur. And that's what Jesus is, is confronting the Pharisees about. He's saying, don't let your heart stay there. Disciples, don't let your heart stay there. There's a better way. Now listen to, to some of these ideas. Because I think where Jesus talks about the, the sin that we all possess, 
that, that heart being deceitful. It's out of the, the mouth that, that, that we show those heart issues. And it doesn't just have to be out of the mouth, does it? We can think it, and it can be there and reside. And we just hold it back. But all those things reveal what's really going on inside our heart. Now, we're going to take a turn from the doctrine of sin or, or hamartiology, and we're going to look at soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. So what is the first thing that we as Christians or we any person needs to be a Christian especially we have to have this a new heart right so listen to what Psalm uh, 51 17 says this uh, it says a the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart God uh, contrite heart oh God you will not despise so if, if we don't think that we have heart issues and we just deny that we need brokenness about our hearts, we've missed it, folks. We've got to come to the Lord with a broken heart over our sin, contrition, a, a desire to repent over sinful things. Listen to what Romans 2, 29 reads. And I want to set this up. What distinguished Jews as a whole, like on a visual and, and uh, lineage sense? It was the issue of circumcision, okay? So they, they uh, continue to transfer that lineage through the rite and ritual of circumcision. Now, here's what the word says in Romans 2.29. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter. See, if our hearts are where sin resides... What we need is our hearts transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God bears an a, a impact upon our hearts and it cuts out that heart of stone and says, I want you to have a new heart of flesh. That circumcision of the heart is the issue. It's not about our earthly lineage. It's about a spiritual condition. Listen to what Romans 6.17 says. It says, we are to obey from the heart. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So, so it's like what we're presenting to the children. We want them to get the truth and teach them the truth so that their hearts are challenged and changed by the word of truth so that one day they will be saved. That they will have their hearts transformed by the word of God. For me, that took me up until the age of 20. Some of us was earlier than that. Some of us may have been later than that. It doesn't matter when it occurs. We just want to see it happen. Listen to this. We're talking about salvation. Where ought Christ to dwell? In Ephesians 3.17, we read this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So, so Proverbs 23.26 says this. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. See, folks, exercising true wisdom is responding to God through a heart of brokenness, repentance, faith, where we recognize our sin and we turn away from that sin and we trust the work of Christ. What is saving faith? Romans 10, 9, 10. I've read this a bunch lately, but I want to read it again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe what? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
We have to confront these issues with sin in our heart to be transformed. If we don't, folks, we can have all sorts of mental assent, knowledge, understanding, but our hearts have to be transformed by the gospel in order to be saved. So once we have a new heart, as Christians, we have a different responsibility. We are then concerned differently with the truth of God. I was thinking about this because Romans 6 says that we've obeyed that teaching to which we were entrusted. It also reminded me of 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 19. And it, it reads this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent, irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have served, or Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So, so what is my point of reading that? When we have a right response to the Lord by trusting him with hearts in faith that the work of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection is what saves us, then we can experience that new heart transformation and then we will begin to depart from iniquity because that heart change produces a different fruit in our life. Does that make sense? We could, we could learn all the truths of scripture. I know people that have memorized parts of the Bible, large parts of the Bible, but they've never had a heart change because they've never trusted the Lord through faith. And it's just mental assent. Folks, we ha in order for us to be saved, there has to be a heart transformation. So I wanna ask this question this morning. Do you want a new heart? <laughs> if you're here today and you know that you are not saved, do you want a new heart? Do you want Christ to do something differently in your life? It means this, you confess your sin, you confess that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. What we want to do is we want to talk to you about that. So if that's you today, we don't want to do this in a cheap way. We want to give you counsel. So I would encourage you to find myself, find somebody that you know here today that could bring you to me or bring you to Steve or Greg or a grow group leader uh, who's around. Somebody that you know can give you counsel about what it means to be saved. Believers, I want to ask you this question. How is it that you are guarding your heart from self-righteousness so that there is a humble and right obedience that, unlike the Pharisees, denies self and honors the Lord? Does that make sense? That's a hard question for us as believers. How are we guarding our heart so that we are not entering self-righteousness. I want us to pray, and then we're going to have a time of dialogue over a question, okay? So let's, let's bow together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that the truth of your word can be so simple, yet so direct, that your Holy Spirit can powerfully move through the use of the word to confront us about sin, our need for salvation, our our tendency to let our hearts run astray a, a and arrive from you, even as believers, but Lord, especially before we're believers, 
the need that, that we have, the Holy Spirit makes it known, the need that we have for, for Christ to change us because our hearts are sinful. They're desperately wicked. And so this morning, Lord, what we pray is that if there's anyone here that, that doesn't know you, but they're being convicted about their need for a heart change, that, that your Holy Spirit would continue to move in them, that they would um, desire nothing more than to surrender to, to their life to Christ. And that they would uh, be bold enough to ask for counsel so we can make sure that they understand just the simple details of what it means to come to faith. Father, for those of us that have been walking with you for any length of time, Lord, the tendency is for us to, to shelf um, you in some ways and to supplant you with our own self-righteousness, to, to elevate our own traditions and to, and to walk apart from you, which is actually disobedience. So, Father, my prayer today is that for us as believers, we would be very, uh, one, cautious in, in how we consider ourselves, or that we would be uh, very sober by the reality that our hearts can still be desperate, desperately wicked. And there's a tendency to drift back into those modes where sin rules. That, that's why Paul warns us that we cannot give way to the, to the flesh. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that we would be very sensitive to you about sin, that we'd be very sensitive to you about your word and how it teaches us to walk in a way that we don't have to be ashamed, but we correctly handle the word of truth so that we honor you through obedient lives. Father, that's the place of greatest freedom, and we want to live there. So, Father, today now, as we, we just take a little bit of a turn and have a, a few minutes of discussion, Lord, I, I pray that you would sharpen us through this, that your spirit would continue to move, and we would learn from one another. In Jesus' name, amen.